Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. It is a blustery, stormy day on the island today. Is it? Mm -hmm. Nice. It actually, so there's this weird weather pattern I've noticed here, which is it often starts off like this in the morning, and then by the evening it is beautiful. Mm -hmm. You get like a golden sunset with all kinds of colors and clouds, and it's just great. Did I talk about this last week? This feels familiar. I don't know. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think you talked about being on the on the vineyard, but uh, yeah, not the cool. storms. Yeah. So, fingers crossed. It's nice later for my daily swim. That'd be great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Spencer and Joel have been out here, so we got a chance to do like a strategy walk and talk, which was really nice. Like we we walked into town and talked a little bit. Like we walk, we talked while we we're walking. We stopped for a little bit. We talked. We moved to a new location. We talked. We just did kind of like this like roving nomadic strategy sesh. It was kind of awesome. Honestly, in my experience, that is the best way to do like business strategy. Rob and I used to take walks like for hours and hours when we were building Drip. A couple times we would do like these founder retreats. We'd go to the Central Coast and just like rent an Airbnb and then just spend most of the time like walking around San Luis Obispo or, you know, hopping between coffee shops. It's just so good for thinking. Totally. Yeah, it worked great. And then we'd be kind of tired of walking for a little bit. So we'd grab a bench and sit and talk in a beautiful spot, looking at the ocean or, you know, some gorgeous grove and then move again. And it was, it worked really nicely. Nice. That's great. So I think this quarter, uh, we're going to promote Tuple to 1.0. <laughs> was it not 1.0? <laughs> it's currently uh, 0.91, I believe. Okay. All right. So, yes. And there have been other uh, smaller releases. So I think we're, we're over, we're at like over 100 releases at this point, for sure. What, uh, to, what constitutes 1.0? Like, <laughs> well, you know, it's a very <laughs> clear and non-arbitrary non distinction. Right, right. Um, so we've been talking about it for a while. It's, it's, it's starting to feel 1.0, where it's like, okay, like the, the basics are working well. With this recent release of the sort of of the CPU and latency improvements, plus the wrapping up of the sort of large um, extraction of the common elements into an engine that is cross-platform, that it's it's feeling like okay, the major architectural work is done, or is it a new is it a new level? There's some like you know, there's some justifications I could give that say like this is why, but it's it is honestly pretty arbitrary, right? It's like we've been out for you know, years at this point. So it's partially an attitude uh, and partially um, a marketing opportunity. Uh, so I think we're going to try to do a like um, a free month in celebration, basically. Like, hey, we, we think the app is really good. We'd like a lot of people to try it. What's the what, what can we do to remove all the barriers to entry for that and try to make a big a big to do of it this quarter? Nice. Yeah. Good marketable event. I mean, it's hard because when, when we're in the business of creating things that are just sort of continuously improving, uh, you kind of miss out on like the marketing opportunity that comes along for like a desktop app that you buy a version of and it's like version 3.0 is out and then it's a, you can make a big splash. So yeah. 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 I've seen you and other people doing a good job of kind of looking for these ways to kind of giving you an excuse to talk about the product again or to sort of trumpet it. A decent amount. So I guess you could sort of another good option is kind of like working very in public. So if you're constantly streaming your work or whatnot, 
that can be a nice way to kind of have an excuse to keep talking about things in a way that feels authentic. But also having a major release of some kind isn't like a nice version of that, I think. I think I talked about this a little bit last time, but Corey and I were strategizing this week about, you know, some improvements we can make to the marketing site and the fact that like we we have a lot of features that are piling up and a lot of these things now newer people who are kind of evaluating the product aren't necessarily aware that they even exist. And boy, is that my life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, you struggle with the same thing. And one of the ways to to help surface that is to do like do these little launch events on like we came up with a couple more ideas on like, you know, what? we could we could potentially do a product hunt launch around this partially as a way to just create a marketable like splash or whatever, but also to like drive awareness towards something that I just assume that people know exists, but turns out some people don't. Do you do you have a sense of how that like last product hunt effort? went do you did you can you see a bump in trials or signups that day uh definitely a bump in like a little bump the day of and then volume in the weeks afterward have just has just been higher overall so like our trial count is sitting sitting about i think 20 trials higher than it normally is at this point in the month or whatever so a lot of these things just sort of contribute to an overall subtle lift in numbers like not like a lot of these things don't like create a huge inflection change in in the graph or whatever but just kind of contribute to to overall volume i guess Mm -hmm. so yeah that makes sense it's the work of marketing it's probably like it's probably hard to to have marketing events that reliably generate large lifts but you're kind of hoping to increase the the baseline yep yep that's basically what we're going for yeah so we've also been working on, I'd say we're getting more enterprisey, not as a company, but in terms of like what we can support as a company. We've been having some good success signing up these larger organizations, and they often have these pretty much non-negotiable clauses around things that we um, need to agree to do to be a software vendor for them. So we're like sort of increasing our efforts there. One of those is just like finding a, a lawyer. <laughs> we have a couple candidates and we're gonna we're gonna make a choice here soon because yeah we're, we're reviewing and signing and debating and all this stuff more and more legal documents so it feels kind of like the the right time to have some help there so you're just getting a lot more uh is sort of initiated by customers like they're wanting to amend terms or make like open specific contracts with you or something and you want to have more legal rigor on your side is that kind of the, the impetus? yeah we're, we're doing more and more like we have a standard agreement that we hope people are cool with signing, but sometimes they're not. Um, and so we have to start from their document, which then requires like a full review from us. And we're trying to have a backstop of an expert that we can ask specific questions to, but also to sort of generate or like to ask this person enough questions to bring enough knowledge in-house that we feel comfortable reviewing a lot of these ourselves. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. Kind of getting someone to say like, here's here's what's standard. Here's you know, you probably shouldn't be flexible on this because this is actually a huge deal. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Where do you guys stand on like some of the more standardized compliance uh, things you can do, like SOC two? At this point, uh, at this, I mean, we are not SOC two certified or compliant or whatever. Um, people ask about it. I think it can be a kind of nice shortcut for making the security compliance stuff easier but i don't think we've like failed any i don't think we failed to get through any security reviews in a while without it 
that's another element of this is like getting like we were we're contractually bound now to have like annual security pen tests things like that but like we also have a we have a managed bug bounty program through federacy so like we're sort of always getting security researchers um pounding on the service and we're doing these regular tests which are you know that we're paying for more directly and that sort of thing our our security page like i just put you know a lot of details on our like tuple.app slash security talking about that answers sort of the most common questions like what's the architecture look like talk to us about encryption levels things like that um and we've also have just sort of gotten more sophisticated security wise like we just sort of keep layering things on like we're looking into right now this app that you install on laptops and it kind of reports back to the mothership about like hey what are the it's kind of like a security audit for your laptop basically and it reports back and so we can just see okay across the company everyone has a password set and everyone's using this like a firewall or something yeah i've thought about this a little bit like because we don't deal with the same level of scrutiny that you guys have because we're kind of not not really selling into those types of enterprises just yet really i mean we've had a couple people from larger companies that have that have like asked about security practices and i think i've even referenced some of your like tuple docs to try to like get a get a way to like frame it in a way that's lightweight but like kind of gets to the core of it and hopefully eliminates objections there was like a flurry of questions around this at one point and then they've sort of died down but like multiple people asking like are you going to be SOC 2 compliant at what point do you plan to is it on your roadmap they were wanting at least like a verbal commitment and i think overall like for a company like mine it feels way too early like i know companies that cross 100 million in revenue and still don't have SOC 2 so you know it's like i think it's a bit overkill but also like i've i've been um Considering like when is the right time to start looking at like what does it take to be SOC two and start like implementing some of the some of the best practices from that framework so that at the point when maybe it does make sense like you're already kind of doing a lot of those things and that you probably already are honestly like because a lot of it's about like putting controls in place I think and like making sure that you're following best practices in a really rigorous way. Um, yep. But yeah, from what I've heard from pretty pragmatic people is that it's it's a reasonable set of things to be doing Mm -hmm. yeah and so a lot of it is just about sort of um adequately proving to someone that you are doing those things yeah regularly yeah Yeah. i mean i I agree it's it's fair it seems to be fairly heavyweight and take a a decent amount of time and money to prove your compliance with it i haven't heard from people that the elements of it are silly or something right right so yeah it's good like good to be thinking about like complying with the spirit of it at least for now and then like you know at some point get really official about it when you're ready to kind of bite the bullet and spend the money to and the time cost to like have all the auditing and everything in place yep. and again i i don't think we've i don't think we've been turned down by almost anybody for security reasons mm-hmm. and we're you know running in some some pretty secure security sensitive places for sure yeah yeah that's it's interesting <laughs> talking to stripe when they were considering using us they asked us i think they asked us about our pen test or something but they were like also we're just gonna we're gonna like try to break your software ourselves which i thought was pretty awesome they're just like we're, can we like can we get a copy of the client so that the security team can like you know poke at it and i was like "Ooh, i like that absolutely yeah that's cool to be big enough to have a, just people on staff who are like we just vet the tools that we adopt internally <laughs> yeah it's pretty excellent so I, I agree with your assessment that like SOC 2 for you seems very early and also kind of overkill. Like I think at the end of the day, you have like a token to like read and create calendar events. That feels like pretty lightweight to me. Mm-hmm. 
I, I feel like the, the questions that have come in so far from it is really just kind of from a someone who works at a company that's large enough and they have kind of a cranky security team that's like kind of maybe they're having a bad day or something. So they're just like wanting to be extra rigorous for no really good reason, like not not in a pragmatic sense, but just like looking for boxes to be checked. I honestly haven't encountered that a ton because I feel like that's that's kind of not the norm. Like most of the time people are wanting to be reasonable and um, and stuff like that. But I guess if you encounter a really cranky security team, they can just kind of sometimes shut it down if you don't check that box. Yeah. So I think also like when people are adopting tuple, it's the engineers that want it. And I think they tend engineering, I think, tends to have a lot of capital, like social capital in a company. So it's probably harder for them to say, no, you can't use this tool than like some other person with perhaps less of that, less clout saying, hey, I want to use this scheduling tool. And they're like, eh, no stock to reject. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like it was encouraging to me also when this it's really only happened a couple of times. But one one of these conversations in particular, like I was trying to do my best to explain like our the way we handle data, the way we store it is you know, encrypted at rest, da, 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 all the all the things. So there was a little bit of a back and forth happening with their with their security team. And then the person I was talking to mentioned like, yeah, we've been going back and forth with Calendly, too. And it's like, okay, well, Calendly is obviously many, many, many times larger than me. And they're still like suspicious of Calendly's security. So it's like, yeah, if they're if they're like putting them under scrutiny, then I understand why they're putting me under scrutiny because I'm much smaller, you know. Um, but it just kind of felt like they're scrutinizing for the sake of scrutinizing at that point. Yes, we put all vendors through the same excessive scrutiny regardless of Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, by the way, I, I, I saw a scheduling tool the other day and on their comparison page, they showed how they stacked up to um, Calendly and SavvyCal. Yeah, I, uh, I think I saw the same one. And, and um, I was like, <laughs> I was Derek's like, made it. Look at that. <laughs> I know. It was pretty awesome to see, actually. And what's funny is I think um, that page has driven especially when that that particular company has done like some marketing pushes, like it drives a bit of um, traffic to my site. So <laughs> I'm pretty stoked about that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you made the big time. You're big enough to be, uh, you know, mentioned by name and competed with directly. Right. Yes. To be put on one of those little stupid grids of checkboxes that are always extremely uncharitable to everyone else that they're comparing yeah. against. Yeah, a lot of, <laughs> so the, that, the good news is you were there. The bad news is a lot of red X's, Derek. Yeah. It was basically all red X's. It um, was, yeah. It was yeah. like 12 things, <laughs> one checkmark, 11 X's. Great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, the, the same company that is, you know, saying that I basically shouldn't exist has copied a lot of... Uh, a lot of my uh, UI elements too on their site. It so it did look <laughs> awfully familiar. Yeah, yeah, I was getting some extremely familiar vibes from some mm-hmm. of those pages. Honestly, mm-hmm. yeah. So you know, wow, so flattering. I know, and I not know. at all annoying. No, of course not. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Classic. Mm-hmm. So, what else is happening in, in SavvyCal world? Yeah, so just been kind of um, still chugging along on, on product stuff. I, I shipped a feature called um, Proposed Time. Did I talk about this already? I don't think so. Okay. That basically lets people click a button in the UI and see um, see the same like demo view of their link, and then they can sele- pre-select times that they want to pass along to someone and then click a button, and it copies a snippet to their clipboard that they can paste into emails. 
this is sort of like step one on like my broader theme of like embedding Savvy Cal deeper in people's workflows. Um, there's been a lot of demand for like just in general like browser extensions and and a Gmail like plugin where you have a button right there next to, in your little palette of of commands where you can like insert stuff. So definitely edging uh, deeper into that. I think um, probably the next the next big initiative will be I think a Chrome extension. Um, where you can kind of like click a thing and see a see a little fly out with all your links and then and then grab like a, a proposed time snippet and inject it in an email and then and then the next step beyond that will be something that probably reuses a lot of that code but uh, but brings it even tighter into like a Gmail um, interface workflow too. So, nice, yeah, that's cool. I was just thinking I, I want that for because I use Superhuman as my email client, so I'm, I was thinking like. Maybe an Alfred, like if you made it API accessible, if I could, I could fire off an Alfred command to like return a thing and use yes. that or something. Yeah, that's actually, um, I have some notes about that in a, in a ticket somewhere because it was actually pretty early on a, a customer reached out to me and he had done quite a bit of like hacking himself with like, I don't know if it was Apple script or what, one of the like scriptable things you can do to, to hook into a command launcher. I think it was maybe Alfred, but I'm not sure. And so he had actually like done a bunch of hacky stuff to get it working like proof of concept, um, in his own setup, which was pretty cool. I'm like, yeah, we definitely should try to like natively support this type of thing. Um, I don't even know what's involved with that totally, but, um, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Cause I think like superhuman, I don't think you can do official plugins into superhuman no, that I'm aware of at this I point. I don't think so, you can. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, an Alfred thing would I think would would, would work. Mm -hmm. Savvykel is definitely one of those types of products where a lot of people don't necessarily want to even log into the interface and use it. Like once they set things up, they kind of want to be able to just you know they want it to be there where they need it right in context. So I think this is um, sort of a big, an important um, direction to move into. Yeah, like I have I have Superhuman snippets set up that have Savvykel links embedded in them and that's how I, I use it most of the time uh, but yeah like for this use case every so often it's nice to be able to be like you know have that that snippet of how about monday at this time or tuesday at this time or if not grab this thing and go grab it at another time yep occasionally i'll have conversations with with people who are maybe i would say a bit more like product-minded people maybe they're product builders themselves so i can go and i can have a more in-depth conversation around like problem solving i guess with with product and one thing that I'm aware of is like some of the flows right now in Savvy Cal don't necessarily align exactly with the way people want to use the product. And I think this is this is a risk that a lot of products run into. Like I'll give you an example. I was talking to Brian Castle the other day and um, he was like, well, so what I what I normally do is like I bookmark my scheduling link and then I click the bookmark link to open it up and look at it before I send it sometimes. And he's like, sometimes I want to make an on the fly adjustment. And so he was like frustrated that he couldn't adjust the availability on the preview. It's like, well, the preview is supposed to give you like, you can actually technically like use your own booking link through the preview. So, and then the editing interface looks very similar to the, to the link. So I was like, well, you could just bookmark the editing interface for it. And he was like, I could, but then sometimes I just want to like, like right click and copy the URL from the bookmark bar. And so if it's pointing to the edit page, then that won't work. So there's like some little pieces of friction there. And then he was also like, I want to be able to look at it and basically like click a button to duplicate that, create a single use link and personalize it for the person on the fly. 
And it's like, oh, that's a really interesting workflow. I don't know if the, the perfect solution is like a duplicate for single use button. <laughs> Maybe that's the right solution, but it's interesting to think about like, um, you know, how some of the, some of the flows that like, it makes sense just objectively you look at the UI and it's like, you have a scheduling links page and you can click on them to edit them and, and then you can click to preview them. But sometimes those flows become a little bit cumbersome when you actually think about like, how's the person actually using the product? And so I've been thinking a lot about that, that kind of stuff too, like being able to, I don't know, to, to get, to shortcut some of those paths that people, um, people want to go down to totally. actually use the product. But yeah, I feel your pain on the additional complexity that gets presented mm-hmm. there. Right. It's like right. You, you start off with this sort of clean mental model of a list view and then an edit view and then a preview and all this stuff. And it, it all feels nice. And then someone's like, well, it'd be nice if I could save a couple of clicks by directly going from this to this. Or if this function kind of like this over here. And it's like, okay, now we're muddying the waters. Yeah, yeah. And it's like sometimes I think those things are worth doing, but other times if you don't, like if you, you haven't experienced the same pain that other people have and you see that thing there, it just is confusing. And like, why are there multiple paths to achieve the same thing? And yeah, it's tricky. Um, you and I had this debate or sort of a bunch of us had this like semi debate on Twitter a while back about your positioning. And like, is the personalization like and the power dynamic thing of sending a scheduling link is that the true value prop of savvy cal or is it more around this is actually just a more powerful more pleasant way of doing this thing and i was in the camp that it's the latter and i feel like that's just continuing like the the other day i need like i wanted to send a one-off link to somebody which i could do and then i wanted to like force i had like a calendar event that was blocking some time and i was like well if this person wants that i'll move that thing so like set that as available even though there's an event there and like you had that force allow function and it's just like to me it feels like you are the power tool like when i want to do something really funky it's got like the the thing the knobs are there you could say no no no. like i want to stick with like it, to me it feels like you, that taking on that complexity might be congruent with or how i think of you personally mm-hmm. yeah i think you know, there, there's there's power tool. There's also just the the better like better product experience, better UX. You know, that's like sort of been a focus. And I think it would have been hard for me to use that positioning early, early on when I was like a pretty limited feature set tool. There's a lot of table stakes things that I didn't have implemented, but I was trying to zero in on this one specific pain point and try to use that as the hook. You know, and I think it's still. What the the part that gives me pause about like changing the positioning totally is like one I don't know if I have enough volume to truly like split test and see like what is the impact of changing changing some of this. Corey and I were actually just having a conversation about this. Like maybe we'll experiment with some some like headline headline changes, you know. But I am leery that like given my traffic volume, will I be able to get a statistically significant result in a meaningful amount of time? I'm not sure. So there's that kind of floating around in my head, but also like. I, I do hear you that I think we have caught up on a lot of the the kind of features where, you know, we, we can really say like we're a, we're just as powerful as the big players and we actually have a better UX and you're gonna you're gonna enjoy using this product more. Which is ridiculous for what it's worth. <laughs> oh thank you. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Because you just single handedly did that. <laughs> ridiculous. I know. It kind of yeah. I've also noticed like 
I was, I played around with a little, just kind of devious little ad campaign. Um, just late, late, a couple nights ago, I was just sitting around on my computer and I was like, I was trying to think of a way to, to set Savvy Cal apart from the rest of the field in a really clean way. And when I look around at the landscape, there, there are a lot of tools popping up that are trying to, trying to get in the scheduling space. I think especially when Calendly kind of did their little roadshow a year ago and everyone realized just how much revenue they, they bring in, you know, like everyone's like kind of, there's blood in the water, right? But I look around at what, what other tools are doing and honestly, there's a lot of like cloning of Calendly. Like literally, like they're just, they're just unabashedly stealing the interface and like maybe they have square corners instead of rounded corners or something, but it's basically the same. And unlike I, I feel like Savvy Cal is one of the only ones that's actually trying to do it differently. Like we have this calendar interface and we have the overlay feature and we have, and there's just a million other things that we've chosen to rethink and try to try to improve upon. One iteration of this is just like a, a little graphic that I just put in the abstract, the Calendly interface, which can honestly describe, you know, 90% of the other tools out there. <laughs> I was like, if you're still doing it like this, you can do better. <laughs> if your links still look like this, you can do better. So I don't know, there might be some like, I don't know, this, this probably wouldn't be like homepage fodder necessarily, but maybe some kind of like, some kind of push on a landing page or something to, to speak to like, yeah, this is kind of generally speaking what the other tools do and it's, it's suboptimal in these very specific ways. Mm. I, I feel like you could, yeah, I'm picturing this like marketing video, like shot in like black and white with like an old timey reel, like some, some pioneer sending out a Calendly link and then we flash forward to the Savvy Cal future. I like that. That's good. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, again, preposterous that you pulled this off, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like going more directly on the like, yeah, it's actually just better. You should use it because it's better. Um, here are the ways we're more sophisticated or the, why the experience is, is tighter or cleaner or gets, lets you do things that you can't do. And I think it's just leaning yeah. into that. It makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's taken a while for me to get comfortable with like, I don't know, I have the, kind of that engineer bias towards like sort of underselling what we have and I can always, you know, I know the flaws and, you know, it's hard for me to to confidently go after that. But I know a lot of companies that are kind of more, uh, more sales and marketing driven from the founder level. And like, they're just like, they're on the side of overselling and you don't want to do that, but they probably are pulling in more money, you know, because they're, you know, they're like, um, being more aggressive with that. So I think we could definitely be more aggressive about trying to stress that, you know? You yeah. Know? I think humility in this case is going to be a bit overrated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you, will, I think you will probably tend to be a bit too too humble about what you made. Probably, yeah, yeah. But sounds like that's that's a thing for Corey to work on. Yeah, there there have been times where I'm like, you know, he's reaching out to somebody to specifically ask, make an ask on like, will you do a review of the product and post it on your really popular YouTube channel? And like, I can almost not bring myself to watch these videos. It's funny because because I'm just like, oh, I'm just gonna they're gonna run into something that. I know it's like I want to improve that thing and they're just walking through it on the video. But I did watch um, one that came out recently. I was actually at the end of it felt pretty proud of like, no, he's like legitimately very happy with the tool and keeps pointing out things that are kind of mind blowing to him or like, oh, this is so much better than what I've used before. And nice. um, That's great. Yeah, I I empathize with that. The idea of watching someone do a full walkthrough of you of tuple sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) Mm hmm. Yeah, I know. Which is crazy because I, I know it's good. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's it's. I know both these things are true. 
Yep, exactly. There's a bunch of things yeah. that could be better, and also it's good, and yeah, we just mm-hmm. got to keep going. Yep, yep. Fortunately, we keep hiring good people and making good progress, and the nice thing is, like, it's, it's funny to me, I think because I'm, you know, the product owner, like, it always feels slow. It's like, oh, I wish we, I wish we had done so much more this last quarter. I like, wish we'd ship this. And like, I, there's like a bunch of things. Like my list of things I want to improve is just basically only growing. I have seen a number of times um, like people commenting, um, saying like, oh, I signed up for Tuple again. It's, you've, you've improved it so much over the last year. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> uh, yeah. it, it feels like we're standing, I mean, not standing still, but it, from, from my perspective, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that. All yeah. The time, so. Yeah, totally. I mean, when, yeah, when you're just, your scope of view is like, you're so much in the, you know, the making of the tool that it's hard to have that perspective of the, you know, the person who hasn't seen it for a while or the person who's just a happy user and like feels like things are getting better all the time. Um, which is probably how most a lot of your customers feel, you know, but they don't necessarily email you every week and tell you that. And <laughs> and you're not feeling that same thing because all you're seeing is the things that need to that are broken or need to get right. improved. And, and we're looking at the future. Like, so I'm always mm-hmm. just kind of like, OK, three months from now, six months from now. Yeah. Um, and like, what are the and what are the other problems also? Like, it's not just like, hey, is the product improving? But like, there's a whole company we're trying to build here, too. Yeah. So like, there's a whole yeah. bunch of challenges related to that that aren't even visible to the outside world so much. Right. And like, honestly, I think as a product person, your job is to take on like the pains that your customers have that you're trying to solve. Like your job is to, to, to empathize with those things and like take, take those things on. So, and, and you've, none of us have like fully solved all of our customers problems. And so we always have this kind of underlying sense of like, we need to make things better so that um, we can improve the lives of our customers, you know? And I feel like, it is a blind spot if you were to like sit back and say like, no, you know what? Actually, we're we're good. We uh, we solved <laughs> yeah. it all. Then that's when yep. that's when the product stops improving and stops growing. You know. Yep, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 right. That's that's a good point. I guess it's part of the job, like mm-hmm. caring. Like it's that's that's like the right that's the right the right mindset. I think. Yeah. Like yeah. when I when I see a, a bad call report come in and it's like something that we could have prevented or improved on, it's like yeah, it's 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 kind of my responsibility to mm-hmm. note that and have some empathy for it and want to fix it. Yep. Yeah. Otherwise, I shouldn't be in charge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you like it wouldn't actually feel good? I think it wouldn't actually feel good. But like, there's there's this like seductive thing of like, what if you did just stop caring? What if you just what if you were just like okay we hit a certain revenue level i don't care if it keeps growing we're gonna like just barely keep it running <laughs> put it in maintenance mode and just like have the chillest life possible yeah i feel like it would take a long time like it would it would it would, be, yeah. it would last a long time like sure at this point yeah. we could we could ride this this wave for quite a while mm-hmm. um years i think yeah um so it's <laughs> don't i'm not actually going to do this don't worry and like don't actually want to but like I could imagine just that like if you just made that that conscious decision that like no no we're just gonna like squeeze the last juice out of this slowly um how relaxing that might be I know uh, well I think in reality for driven people like you and me it would be not a single moment would be relaxing of it <laughs> no no it would, no I know it would actually feel terrible yeah that's yeah. not actually what would make me feel good but I can but I think also I mean sense. when a lot of times people talk about you know passive income or like trying to autopilot things. I think there are some, definitely some people who 
you know, think that that sounds like an ideal state to be in, like, oh, never having to actually improve upon anything and money just rolls in. Mm-hmm. But um, to me, that sounds so precarious. That sounds like, well, yeah. even if it were theoretically possible, I would be like, you mean if I'm not, I'm not doing anything to improve things? Like, yeah. Yeah. Certainly, eventually the market comes along and destroys you. Yeah. It's interesting, like, mind exercise. Like, if I, mm-hmm. if I am at, like, when would, when would we cross below 5K MRR if we mm-hmm. just, only shipped updates that were strictly required to make it work with right. the newest Mac OS. Yeah. How many yeah. years would that take? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. But I think instead, I want the engine to keep turning faster. Yep. And make the product yep. better. I think that's, that's more the, fun. That's the right answer. Yep. Cool. Well, anything else? Um, one little story about, um, one little mini rant about time zones because I'm in the calendar business. So I should you're, be. A, you're definitely, you're under quota with, of time zone rants. For that's someone that that's what I feel like. Tool. Yeah. 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 So, hit me. Like I am. so I've been, it's on, been on my list to like revamp our time zone control, the little selector that lets you choose a time zone, um, for a while. It's so frustrating to me that like there's the time zone database that is like sort of the the canonical is the Olson database, I think is what they call it. And it's in the like Unicode standard or whatever. And it's like the way we describe time zones or the way we define them. And there's 500 and something of them in the world. What? And really? Oh yeah. Oh yes. Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. That was a lot more than I would have guessed. Yep. Yep. And some of them are duplicate basically like, so there's, there are these mappings that exist that are like kind of the canonical, here's the canonical one and here are aliases. And that brings it okay. down to like 338, I think. Um, okay. <laughs> I would guess there were like 30 or like 40 or something. Well, there should be if, uh, yeah. you know, if these like nations could just agree, like if we're on this band of like the globe, we should all yeah. just agree. Like we can go to war over other things maybe, but let's agree that like time zone, our time zone should be this. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but no, there is no agreement. And, you know, like some just random like county in the middle of Arizona could just decide like we're not doing daylight savings anymore. And then suddenly like this whole database has to get updated and everyone has to like, you know, update their system to reflect it. And it's crazy. So there's a whole, you know, there's a whole like kind of uh, time series database of like changes that have happened over time. And I've perused through it and it's insane. You know, it's like, and there's little comments in there like, well, this one, like this country got overthrown. And so now they're in like this different time zone and yada, yada, yada. It's crazy. But it presents a lot of challenges because one, like this, the Olson database gives, we've all probably seen the identifiers. It's like America slash Chicago, you know, it's like kind of the way time zones are are labeled but nobody knows them by those names um it's like in the united states we're used to you know u.s central time or pacific time or mountain time but those there's like not a clear definition about what those things actually are like and when when you're when your computer when your browser auto detects what time zone you're in it doesn't return back a string that says central time or you know eastern time it gives back an olsen time zone and then you know if you're in the on the East Coast, it's very likely going to be New York, but there might be other, um, you know, there are multiple other ones in that area that are in the Olson database. Maybe they have slightly different daylight savings rules or whatever. It gets real challenging real fast to like, like it's one thing to special case some of these, um, some of these time zones in the United States. But then I become very aware that like the United States is just one small part of the rest of the world. And so what? even if I like, sp- sp- <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Hmm. <laughs> So, like, so 
even if I special case United States time zones, it's kind of just leaving the rest of the world like, what do I do? Just put the Olsen time zone in there because it's like, well, I don't know what's going on in Europe. So you guys just get this like name, these names that don't make any sense to you, you know, and like it's impossible for me to become an expert on how everyone in every locale refers to their local time zone. So I've been searching and searching, trying to find like, what is the, is there some database that gives me like insert an Olsen time zone and get back out a name like us Eastern time or something like that. Um, and I finally like made this obscure discovery in a Unicode. It's the Unicode C D L C L D R C D L R something like that. Um, TLDR. <laughs> not TLDR. <laughs> okay. Common something, something. And it's like the one that's used for predominantly like translation rules around translations and locale specific things. And there's this like, there's an XML file in this like repository. Well, I bet there that is. Con- that con- oh, there's a lot of XML. Lots of violent XML. That contains time zones from the Windows operating system. And they like maintain this like list. And I think Windows has been doing time zones since before all this stuff was standardized. <laughs> so there's a lot of legacy there. Mm-hmm. And they used a lot of name more n- names that we're all more familiar with for time zones. So I found like this random file and it was like impossible to Google for this thing. Like, I don't even know how yeah. I stumbled across it. It was like yeah. a series of 10 different blog posts and finally one pointed me in this direction. It basically has a mapping of like, it condenses the, the Olsen time zones down even further. And it's like, you know, this is the canonical one. And then here's like 10 other ones that are basically identical. And we'll mm. call this Eastern time. And I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I needed. So it was an, it was a really nice breakthrough um, mm. to find that. And then um, I have some other improvements in store for this thing. So that was improvement number one was to like condense this down into names that people uh, recognize easier and add add search capability on the little control too. So you can like whittle it down easier. And then I was talking to Michelle Hansen who has Geocodio um, and she knows a thing or two about, you know, geocoding and, and places in the world <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. programmatically dealing with them and, and sales by the way yeah she very multi-talented great, great enterprise sales tips <laughs> very nice yeah just authored a new book on talking to customers she's, mm. she's making moves um so anyways i'm talking to her and she pointed me in the direction of like two different tools i can use in tandem that will um basically allow me to implement location search so like someone can type what i really want is like if i'm trying to give you times in your time zone i don't necessarily know what the name of your time zone is um especially if you're in somewhere in europe like i won't i won't know the name that you use for it necessarily but if i know you live in london or you live in berlin then if i could just type in like berlin and it immediately gives me back the time zone of the city that you live in then that seems optimal and so that's what I'm also going to be adding very soon is like in the, in the search box, you can, it'll either search kind of the list of time zone names, or it'll just show like results for cities matching what you just typed in. And if you click on the city, then it'll just automatically populate the correct time zone. You know what this sounds like to me? What? Opportunity. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like there are a lot of programmers that have to deal with this type of problem. And it took you a lot of time and work to come up with a decent solution and you're not even done yet. And it was hard to find and hard to Google for. It's like, it could be a little nice little micro business for somebody, I think. Like tremendously good date and time libraries with these nice affordances already done and all the obnoxious time zone 
deduplication figured out and all that with some some maybe some pre-written javascript for you or components or whatnot to drop in mm-hmm. oh absolutely i mean the fact that like it's pretty crazy when you look around at you know it's like are there other language frameworks that have like a better solution for this the old like time zone drop down problem and it is decently unsolved like um it's pretty crazy so yeah plus if someone implements you in their app no one ever wants to go back and change this oh no uh-uh. like if, <laughs> if you develop some sort of SaaS thing like we'll keep on top of these date time changes or whatever time zone mm-hmm. things and keep you up to date and whatever and push yeah. out bug fixes and all that yeah. never would you say you know what we should do is go swap out our time zone oh, line code yeah exactly that would be, so, that yeah. would be a low churn product i think mm-hmm. that is a great point so yeah. anyway you know free yep. business idea yep if the idea of wrangling the obnoxious real world for your customers sounds good that's the thing though you know it's like that's what the good businesses are right Behind there's a scary there's a schleps schlep factor in there yep mm-hmm. but it could be pretty valuable mm-hmm. cool well, it's nice that you've at least dug the moat for yourself. Yeah, yeah, for now. It's like, and I would love to, like, it'd be interesting to potentially open source this kind of thing, but, like, I also don't really have time to, like, I don't feel like I have time to allocate to, like, packaging this up as, like, some kind of open source library or something right now, but mm-hmm. maybe someday. Right. Yeah. Plus then, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's once you've dug the moat, it's kind of hard to I kind of want the moat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I feel that. Yeah, yeah. It's like we want to contribute upstream to like WebRTC and whatnot. And we've done some of that mm-hmm. um, or like write blog posts about how we solve this thorny thing. But it's also like, yeah, but sometimes mm-hmm. you don't want to share the hard word, the hard, hard work you've done. Yep, exactly. So it's a careful balance to strike. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, shall we wrap? Let's wrap it. All right. Notes of the show. Notes of the show can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya.